Hi there, welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. Tune in this week as we continue our series on Christian Family Foundations. This week we're going to tackle the topic of womanhood. What is a woman? We're going to be diving into this text of scripture to find what God says about femininity and womanhood. We hope this is a blessing to you. If it is, please leave us a positive review and tune in next time. Thanks. Have a great week. What is a woman? We are going to answer that question today. What is a woman? And here's, here's the thing this morning. Uh, I was talking to Marianne last night, and, uh, I cu- you know, for some reason, I've been really nervous about this sermon. <laughs> uh, for some reason. And I think it hit me last night as I was, I was going over my notes and kind of typing some things out. Why I'm, I've been nervous about this is, uh, as, a, as a pastor, as someone who's taught the Word for um, over a decade now, um, whenever I'm teaching from the Bible, I'm always actively seeking to point the Scriptures at myself so that it never comes across like I'm doing this. Okay? I don't want to come across like I'm just pointing at you and telling you this is what you need to do, and I'm excluded from this somehow. But this topic (laughs) doesn't work that way for me. I am not a woman. Even... and. Contrary to what some of the things we just heard, even if I wanted to be, I can't be. Okay? And so I'm going to be sharing what I believe wholeheartedly are biblical truths. Okay? I have prayed much, and I've studied much, and I've asked the Lord to safeguard me from saying anything that's not true. Okay? So, I'm sharing these things, ladies, hear me, not with a heart of my finger pointing at you with any accusation or any judgment or any lording this over you, but as one servant of the Lord trying to share what I see in the Scriptures with you. Okay, that's my goal this morning. For all of my sisters, I'm trying to share what the Scripture says with you. So, bear with me in patience, please, okay? Um, Though I believe what we see today is a glorious thing, I believe that what we will see in the Scriptures is an amazing and glorious thing that God has prepared for the women that He has created. We talked last week about what does masculinity look like in the Scriptures, And this week we're going to see what a woman is. And we're going to see the mirror image. The two parts of the image of God. So we're going to start. um, I tell you what, before we jump in, I'd like to pray one more time. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. God, I thank you for the glorious creation you've given us. God, I thank you so much for making men and women distinct, beautiful reflections of your glory. 
Lord, I pray this morning, I do, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, I pray that you would move our hearts, allow us to be soft and receptive to the Scripture. Lord, allow me to speak only truth and no error, Lord. And Lord, I pray you would just be here with us by your Holy Spirit, guide and direct us, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So just as I last week shared five aspects of what a man looks like and does, and the roles that men play in the home and in society, this week, I thought for uh, balance's sake, we got five more. Five things, five aspects of what a woman is. Because I don't believe those who, as the name of my series is entitled, I believe that Christian family is a foundation. And when we remove that foundation, we see what happens at the Women's March. We're shifting all over the place and have no idea what's going on. But God's Word has sure and certain things to say to us, and it's a rock for our feet. And when we drift from what God has said, we become unmoored from the, from the docking of God's Word. We become, uh, as Jesus said, we are the man who built his house upon the sand. And when the storm came, the house fell, and great was the fall of it. So I'm going to give us some scriptural truths, five aspects of what a woman is from the scripture that we can put into practice in our lives. Well, I personally can't, not a woman, um, but what you ladies can put into practice in your lives for your life to be built upon the rock of Christ. And now, so gentlemen, this morning, I know you may feel like you're in the same place I am where I'm not a woman. What does this apply to me? It does. If you're a father with daughters, this is what you're seeking to cultivate in your daughters. If you have sisters, you have young people in your lives, this is what we want, what God says a woman is to be. And so men, as, as we talked about last week, we're to be husbandmen who care for those around us. So we should be invested in seeking to find a way to, to help ladies along with the journey in ways that are uh, godly and biblical. So don't, don't check out, gentlemen. And also, don't use these as bludgeons for your wives either. That's not a good idea. Um, not that any of them readily work that way. But uh, anyways, first thing. The very first aspect is women are the mistress of the domain. The mistress of the domain. If men, as we talked about last week, are the lords of the earth, the women are the mistress of the domain. Woman is created in the image of God, equal to man in her humanity, and commissioned with him to rule the earth for God. God gives women capabilities, responsibilities, and a domain to rule, subdue, and make productive. Women are made, uh, let's look at the scripture, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle 
and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Women are made to subdue the world. This is not Adam's task alone. It is a task shared by all image bearers of God to subdue and to rule over the earth. God did not create women to be pretty-looking ornaments on the side of Adam's quest to subdue and rule the earth. He created women to be partners in doing that task. He did not create them to be docile and lazy gossips with nothing better to do than while away their days talking about nonsense and suitors and things that we see in Victorian English uh, dramas. Sorry, Marianne. I know you like a. <laughs> that is not what God created women to do, to just sit around and while away their days talking about nonsense. He created women to be the mistress over all the domain of the earth. And that includes work. Just as men are created to subdue and rule over the earth and take dominion, women are created to do the same, to subdue the earth, to rule over it, to work at this world. Women, just like men, were created to work and be productive. Work is a good thing. Work was created. Adam was given the task. This passage here in Genesis 1 happens before the fall. You see, in Genesis 3, we see that work becomes toilsome and difficult. But in Genesis 1 is when work is given to us. Work is a good thing. I believe that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will still have work that we will do. God made us to work hard with our hands, to labor for the world around us. Think of it as, think of the parable of the talents. Jesus talks about the ruler gives to each person different amount of talents. To one he gives ten or five, and one he gives two, and one he gives one. And the one that gets five turns around and makes a profit on what he was given. The one that has two turns around and makes a profit and, and gives back four to the master. And the one that only had one, what did he do? He buried it. He was lazy and afraid. And buried his talent and did nothing. And the master says, you should have at least put it in the bank so I'd get interest. And he says, you lazy and wicked servant, what you have will be taken away and given to the one that has ten. In the same way, we should make a profit. Women are called to turn a profit on what God has given them. 
Men are called to turn a profit on what God has given us. We're not called to be lazy and while it away. Whatever it is you have, you may have much, you may have little, but turn a profit on it. You're the, Lord, you're the mistress of the domain. The second thing that we see the women, what a woman is, is a helper, completer. Woman is from the man and for the man. An indispensable helper without whom the man, his work, and the whole of creation are not complete. We're going to read Genesis 2, 18 to 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Everything God made up until this point, he says, first he says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he saw the light was good. And he talks about the second day, he makes all these different things, and he says, that's good. And he says, it's good. And he says, it's good. He gets five days in and everything he's made is good but then on the sixth day he makes something and it's not good he says he made Adam and it was not good that he was alone it is not the first thing that we see in all of creation before the fall first thing not good is that man was alone and so God contrives this process to try and find a helper he parades every animal in front of adam and says is this does this one work what do you call this one what's this one and none of them are good helpers for him and so he says you know what i want to make something new so he takes a part of adam he takes something away from adam and he makes it into something far greater than it was before and then he presents it back to adam whole so now Adam has got, had something removed from him and given back to him. Man is incomplete without woman. Woman is the helper, completer. Adam was given an epic task. He was to, told to subdue and rule over all of creation. He was told to fill the earth, but it was a task too big for him all by himself. Woman completes man. Alone, man is not good. I didn't say it. 
God said it. Women are, were made from man, as, for man, for, as a helper. Now, as we think about this, there is a couple of ways we could misinterpret what it means for woman to be a helper. There's always more than one way to misinterpret a text, right? There's, there's usually only one way to rightly interpret it, but there's many ways to misinterpret the text. Feminist interpretations try to take this text and explain it away. Try to pretend that God didn't say that woman is a helper made from man for man. That it actually means that, you know, he's, that she's just a separate part that, you know, is equal and there's not, she's, she's, she's helping with the whole task. She's not helping the man. She's, you know, she's got her own task or the, the, you try it. I don't even know how you could explain it away, but they try. Try to explain it away. We have, but, and then still others embrace what they assume the text is saying, but it really isn't. Another problem occurs when we read the word helper as inferior. Once you've done that, you're on the wrong path. But it makes sense how we get there, okay? Right? When we see helper, right, helper implies someone else is in charge. And that the helper is a secondary role. And having one person chosen as the head makes, assume, makes us assume that those responsible for placing that person in charge thought that they were inherently better at some things. And better at some things must mean that the other is worse, right? And worse implies inferior. Those are the steps we get. And we go through those steps so fast in our head we don't even realize we did it. But that's not what the text is saying. The text is not saying helper means inferior. The text is saying helper completes the picture. There are many things that might mean, but it doesn't say that the helper is inferior. There's an amazing uh, poem by G.K. Chesterton, who was a very wise and, and uh, he was a wise wordsmith, and he said, if I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. It's our problem when we start to put competition into the text. God has made these things have separate roles that are distinct. But he has said he made man and woman in the image of God. Feminists try to explain this text away and chauvinists say amen to their own misconceptions about women's inferiority. And both are wrong. You know, for a society um, that claims to love diversity so much, we're not very good at living with it. We'd rather everyone was the same because then it doesn't make our head hurt. Because when people are different, we have to deal with those differences 
And God didn't make everyone the same. He could have made the whole world a bunch of men. He could have. When he saw that Adam was alone, he could have said, here's another man. Go figure it out. But he didn't. One of the one of the things that man cannot do alone that he needs his helper completer to do is the third thing here that we see women are and that is life givers women are life givers the woman gives life not only through physical birth but as a nurturer and encourager in relationships that are the foundation of all society Adam could have tried his whole life to make another human being and fulfill the, the uh, goal of filling the earth, and he never would have done it. The woman gives life. Genesis 3.20, Adam gives his wife a new name. He says, Now the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Women are life givers. One of the many ways that Eve helps and completes Adam is helping him fulfill that mandate to fill the earth and to subdue it. Women are uniquely suited to do this. The female body is a miraculous thing. As Rebecca Merkel, the author of this book, which I highly recommend, it's called Eve in Exile and the Restoration of femininity by Rebecca Merkel. One of the things she says in her book is on a physical level women are designed to have babies and this is so terribly obvious it's almost embarrassing. And she goes on to give some details that I won't give but it is obvious. So obvious that it's embarrassing almost. And let's get real here for a second, okay? Sexuality and reproduction are inseparably interconnected. Inseparably interconnected. And it has been one of the chief goals of feminism to separate those two things. To separate sexuality from fertility and reproduction. That was, that's one of the main goals of the Women's March. But this is part of the mission, filling the earth with image bearers of God. This attempt to separate sexuality from reproduction has led to the fact that more than 60 million legal abortions have occurred in the United States since 1973. That's every death in the Holocaust six times since 1973. In 2020 alone, it is estimated, based on only 39 states reporting, state-level data, that 910,000 abortions took place in the United States in 2020. That's the result of separating what God has connected. 
Women give life with their bodies. It's what they do. And we as Christians, if we were to look in the mirror and think about it long and hard, we recognize we've embraced that separation to a degree as well. That somehow we can have sexuality without fertility. But God says to fill the earth with image bearers. God says in Psalm 107, I believe, or 109, the children are a blessing from the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, blessed is he who fills his quiver with them. We shoot those children out into the world as image bearers of the Lord to take land from the enemy. But that's not the only way that women give life. It's not just physical. As the point I made earlier says, women give life in relationships that are foundational to society. Generally, can we all admit that women are generally more compassionate and caring than men? There are exceptions to every rule. But the exception only proves the rule. When we see a man who's too compassionate and caring, we kind of think they're a little effeminate, aren't they? Maybe not. We, maybe we shouldn't think that, but I'm just saying. Women are generally more compassionate. Marianne and I have this argument all the time when discipline happens with our kids. I come down hard. And she, sometimes later, sometimes right in front of all of them, which makes me even more upset, tells, them, tells me, you don't have to be so hard. Think about, and she starts talking about, think about their feelings. Think about, you know, how hard that's going to hurt their heart. And I'm like, don't give me that nonsense. But if we're real, though, if I'm honest... As a man, my temptation is to discipline in ways that will probably hurt my children's heart. That's why Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Because that's the, that's the impulse of a man, to, to come down too hard. But women have compassion and empathy to bring life into a situation. That's their goal. That's their purpose. That's the purpose is to bring life into the situation to whereas men are rough and callous at times generally women are soft and caring and compassionate as I said there's exceptions to the rule like I said earlier if God wanted a race of just men he could have made that but he didn't want that he wanted men and women to both reflect His glory and His image. So women are life givers. And it is so important for us to have life in our interactions, to have life in our world. The next thing, the fourth thing that we see that women are is a lady of wisdom. A woman is a lady of wisdom. That's an aspect of... 
We see in uh, Proverbs, it's hard to choose just one short passage here. Um, But as it says here, wisdom is personified as a woman in Proverbs, displays roles. Hold on, go back to the other one. There you go. Displays roles and patterns essential to civilization and which should be emulated by all women. And it's true. Wisdom throughout the first nine chapters and continues some throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs is personified as a, as a woman. We talked last week about how men are called to listen to wisdom and be sages, become wise. Women are to embody wisdom. It, it was hard for me to pick just one passage, but Proverbs 1, 20-23 says, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. But turn to my reproof, and behold... I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So this woman wisdom, this lady wisdom is calling out to all fools and saying, hear me. Does anybody know a really wise older lady who tries to tell people and you you, you hear that lady that's saying, if they would just listen to me. But they don't listen full of nuggets of wisdom. God's calling. This is universal. Okay, men and women. This this time I I can point the finger at me and say we need to get wisdom. We just talked about this in Sunday school. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. You have to, it takes some amount of wisdom to recognize that you need wisdom. Right? Right? Teenagers think they don't need any wisdom because they've got it all, right? Sometimes. But not just teenagers. A lot of us can be guilty of that. We think we know it all. But the beginning of wisdom is recognizing I don't have all the wisdom and I need some. Ladies, wisdom is essential to who you are as a woman made by God. Get wisdom. Be humble. Recognize you don't know everything, that you need wisdom. And I would say again, as I said last week, wisdom is not being smart and super intelligent or knowing lots of facts. It's not being the trivial pursuit champion. Okay, Wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. Wisdom is taking what you know and applying it to life correctly. Everybody can do that. Often we don't. We need to get wisdom. Last thing that we see that is the aspect of what a woman is is the glory of man. Through her cooperation and respect 
for man, she brings glory to him as he in turn brings glory to God. 1 Corinthians 11 says, A man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. I'm not going to get into that. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So we see in this text something um, that I've read before and wrestled with. Some of the things here make sense given the... um, the passage in, G- in Genesis, uh, man does not originate from woman, but the woman from man. And this goes back to the helper-completer aspect, is that the woman was created for the help of man. But what do we do with this, th- this thought? And, and let's be honest, just what I just said, those, this passage I just read is anathema in our society today. To even say that out loud will probably get banned on YouTube. Um, which I've had discussions with some of the, mostly with Nathaniel. It seems like every time I preach, we get flagged on YouTube. So I just can't, I don't know. But anyways. Um, but it's what God says. You guys, you gals, I didn't write these words. We could try to explain it away and pretend it's not there, but it's there. So what do we do with it? We could misinterpret, we could do, as we talked about earlier, we, we've got the feminist option and trying to explain it away, or we've got the chauvinist option say, yeah, women get in your place. Neither one of those are right. And I want to, I, I have never, this is one of the reasons why I, I highly recommend this book. It's phenomenal. But the, it, the, but I'm going to give you the most valuable lesson that I learned from this book right now. Okay? So you, it, it, this is free. Hey, you don't have to buy the book. Just listen to this. So this passage talking about woman being the glory of man and man being the glory of God. I've never understood that passage well. I've always seen it as the feminist and the chauvinist see it and thought, I don't... That just seems weird. Because it, it seems like the glory is rippling outward from the center and getting diluted. That's how we might think of it. If, if man, God's glorious, right? Man is the glory of God. He gets a little. And then woman's the glory of man. She gets even less. But let's think biblically. Okay? Imagine that. There's a, a novel idea. Let's think biblically and the way 
a Hebrew like Paul would have thought, who was familiar with the Old Testament. Think of so if woman is the glory of the glory. What's the song of songs? It's the best song. What's the holy of holies? When you go into the temple and you go into the holy of holies, are you getting furthest away from the holiness of God? Or are you getting closer to the center of the holiness of God? This, there is the Hebrew way of expressing a superlative like high, higher, highest, is to repeat it. To say something like the Holy of Holies or the Song of Songs or as the angels that circle God's throne say holy, holy, holy three times. Holiest. They didn't have ist. They just repeat it. Woman is the glory of man. And man is the glory of God. Let that hit you now with this different perspective. If mankind is the crown of God's creation, woman is the crown of the crown. And yet, the woman is told that they're a helper. They're not the head. They're not in charge. They're told in Ephesians 5 to submit themselves to their husband. But they're the glory of the glory. I believe that it is in that very submission where the glory can be found. In Ephesians 2, it says, or not Ephesians 2, Philippians 2. The Apostle Paul talks about Christ and he says, Christ, who did not think it robbery to be equal with God, humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, a death on the cross, that at the name of Jesus, every name, every knee should bow, both in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus and God the Father are equals. Right? But Jesus willingly submitted Himself to an equal. He submitted Himself, humbled Himself before God the Father. And it says that that submission leads to exaltation. That Christ's humbling Himself before the Father for God's mission leads to, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. It is part of what makes woman the glory of the glory is the submission to an equal. Not as an inferior to a superior. But as humbly shining Christ's glorious submission to the Father. Women are the glory of mankind. And as such, women glorify. Glorify. Um, think about it. 
my wife is a decorator. She loves to make things beautiful. Women excel at glorifying, at infleshing, translating. A woman can take a disgusting bachelor pad and make it into a home. A woman can take a paycheck and make it into a hot meal that smells and looks and tastes amazing. Think about this. A woman can take the love of a man and a woman and make it into a fat little baby. A beautiful new creation that symbolizes the oneness of those parents. Women glorify and transform and make things beautiful. It isn't something that God has put into women as the glory to be glorifiers. And that is good. We have a beautiful church with nice decorations because some women came together to figure out how it would look better. If it was up to me as a man, we'd have bare walls and the bare minimum, I'm, I'm intensely practical, okay? I don't care about what color it is. Just, just, just keep moving. I don't care. I tell this to Marianne all the time. I don't care what it looks like. Just, it's fine. But my home is beautiful because she's glorified it. And this world, think about how God makes the world. He doesn't just make things bare and utilitarian. You go outside of my house right now and there's a patch of woods and in the brown death left over from winter, there's beautiful little yellow flowers poking up through the ground. That's what God does. He takes the stuff and he just makes it unnecessarily beautiful because it's glorious. And that's something that God has put in the heart of women. And that's a good thing. So, it's the work of women, women to fill and subdue the earth, to give life, to help, to give wisdom, and to glorify. The ways that women can do these things are practically endless. I, I hesitate to give practical examples because God, the, door, the, the, the doors are wide open to do these things. But I would say this. I'm going to read a little passage from uh, what Rebecca Merkel says in her book. She says, if your hackles are going up at this, so this is for any women who are feeling like, yeah, I don't know about you telling me what my life's supposed to be. If your hackles are going up at this, then it's probably because you're afraid that in the end, what God designed for you is unexciting, unfulfilling, demeaning, and generally dull. You're picturing the sadly colored suburban house, the minivan, and long, boring afternoons with a flavorless casserole to look forward to. But just stop and think for a second. What do we know about God? Is he interested in creatures that are dull, underappreciated, and underutilized? Oh, for pity's sake. He's the God who created the tiger, the eagle, the sun, the palm tree. Why on earth, when he got to mankind, would he suddenly decide that he wanted to top it all off with a creature never allowed to live up to its full potential and has to sputter along at 10%, never allowed to get out of first gear? 
I'm pretty sure we're safe on that front. And I'm pretty sure that we'll find that what God has created us for is far more breathtaking, crazy, scary, and glorious than we have wanted to assume. And I don't think any of us, if we throw ourselves into the roles that he has set for us, will find ourselves bored. When we throw ourselves into God's roles that he's provided for us, and we trust him, I, I agree, I don't think we will find ourselves to be bored and underappreciated and demeaned. But I will warn everyone here, what was the first temptation that mankind was given? The serpent said, did God really say? The first temptation persists to today to not trust what God has said. And in addition to that, what did Satan tempt Adam and Eve to do? To take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, essentially to figure out for themselves what good and evil were. To figure out for themselves, to make themselves the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. But God has told us what is good and what's bad. But it's a temptation every single day to try and decide for ourselves or to let the world decide for us what is good and what's bad. What's going to make us flourish and what's going to make us suffer. But God has told us in His Word, listen to Him. This is my encouragement to every one of you as we think about what God has said in His Word, listen to Him and don't listen to what the world tells us is going to be best. Don't listen to what our heart desire might say because Isaiah says, or Jeremiah says, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? Listen to what God has said. And He doesn't have bad in store for us. He has good in store for us. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, that all sounds great. But I haven't been living this way. How can I make this happen? There's power by the Holy Spirit to make anything happen. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, I'm doing pretty good at that. Good for you. Pass it on. Maybe you're sitting here today and you think, I don't know about all that nonsense. That's a bunch of baloney. Well, can I tell you, Jesus paid for that unbelief too. I'll be honest. You can't take the first step towards making this make sense in your life if you haven't taken that first step of making your life right with Christ. We can, we can uh, shuffle around our lives and structure them around, try to structure them around what God says while still having a dead heart. All you women here today, you can try to put all this into practice without Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life but you'll still be a dead husk walking around spiritually lifeless. 
We can only find spiritual life by surrendering our lives to Christ and asking for his forgiveness, for his forgiveness for what we've done, where we've lived, where we've seen. We've tried to say what was right and wrong in our lives. We've tried to say what's good and bad. We've disbelieved what God has had to say, but Jesus Christ died for all of those things that we might be right with God. So I invite you this morning, as uh, Jan comes up, she's going to lead us in a song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I chose this song because that's what I want to encourage all of us to do today. Trust Jesus. Take Him at His word. Whatever He says, let's do it. And let's do it not by working real hard, but by trusting the Holy Spirit to work through us. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit because you've never trusted in Christ, I invite you to come down as we sing and let's pray together. So let's all stand and let's sing together. for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks, and have a great week.